want to begin a series called Recalibrate. To calibrate means to bring back to a standard, and sometimes we get off that standard, don't we? Anybody here? Thank you, Shirlina. Shirlina and I have drifted from standards at times. But before we do, because I've been, I feel like I've been a little bit too serious and intense lately, I have a joke for you, okay? So I think this is a funny joke. This is a, a pastor that was uh, visiting homes of some of his congregation members. Aren't you glad I only text you and I don't visit your homes? <laughs> and so at this one house, he knew that that person was there, but they were not coming to the door after he knocked a whole bunch of times. So he has this little pastor card, and on there he wrote Revelations 3.20, just to kind of be a little bit humorous. I stand at the door and I knock. That's what Revelations 3.20 um, says. And so during offering time, the week later, uh, as they were going through the worship service, he found that his card had been returned, and on it was this cryptic message that says Genesis 3.10. And he didn't know exactly what that passage was, so he opened up his Bible, and as he did, he realized that on the front it said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Genesis 3.10 says, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. <laughs> So I realize why some of you don't text me back. <laughs> I know what's going on over there. So um, I say all that because I, I want to begin to realize we are underneath a covenant and a gospel that has set us free. It's a gospel of joy. No matter what you're going through, no matter how hard it can get, no matter the mountaintops that you can live on, one thing I don't ever want to lose from a pastor's perspective is the joy of ministering to you. And this is the challenge, and I just want to say this very openly. I didn't think I would find myself kind of at this place, but as I begin to hear some of your stories and some of your challenges, and you're very open with me about some of the things you're going through as marriages or whether you're single or not, I started to find a drifting toward ministering just to that. And I, I want to do my best, and I don't know how to do it. Maybe I'll fumble my way through it, but I want to get back to a place for myself of going, you know what? I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it. Let me tell you some truth. And let me just tell you something that will call you up and build you up into who you are, into what God's called you to do. How many realize that knowledge, knowing something, doesn't translate into actually seeing the results, right? I mean, I don't know how many times I've read blog posts about how good it is to eat healthy and how many times you should exercise and how many ounces of water you should drink. I know all those things, and sometimes somebody could say them to me, and my response would be, oh, I, I know that, but why not results? And that's the same thing that happens with Christianity. There are many times where I've experienced somebody going, man, I know this, but why is it not happening in my life? Because knowledge doesn't have the, the power to transform. Knowledge is a basis, but it's not the key to seeing what God you want, he wants to see inside of our lives. And as I go through this message, I want you to remember we're not trying to get to a destination. You're not trying to get to, oh, finally, I'm a good Christian. Finally, man, I'm a great Christian. Finally, I'm a better Christian. You're not trying to get there. You're, getting, you're on a journey of discovering. I know I say this a gazillion times, but we are discovering what? Who he is to us and who I am to him. So every, every circumstance is an opportunity to discover something about him. And many times it 
We get a blow by life and it starts to knock us off our course and we start to ask the wrong questions. Rather than asking, God, who are you to me? We start asking, God, why? Why did you allow this to happen to me? Why am I still going through this? Why won't it end? And I just want to encourage you, it's not about the destination. It's about the journey. It's about discovering who God is for you on this journey. There's a verse that's going to be on the screen. You can turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 55, uh, verse 8 and 9. It says these words. He says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. He's making a a very clear distinction about something. The Lord is saying through the prophet Isaiah, he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways. How many wish that he followed our ways sometimes? Like how many know you have a better path to where you want to go and to what you want to accomplish and to what you want to see happen, sometimes in the ways that God has? He says this, not only does he clear a distinction or make a distinction clear, he says, hey, I want you to see how big the gap is. For as high as the heavens are above the, way, uh, the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, why do I start off with this passage? Because I want to make it crystal clear to all of us that he has a set of thoughts that are not like ours. And he has a way of doing things that is not the way that we want to do them. I was talking with uh, John Walsh before this, and something he shared with me just reminded me of something that I know is true about God. He said, God is not logical. But sometimes we want him to be so. Like we want him to fit in our box of this is probably a good thing to happen to me right now, God. And, and, and God, why would you ask me to do that? Like why would he ask somebody to march around a city six days in a row and then the seventh day do it seven more times? So 13 times and then, hey guys, and then after that, shout. Like there's nothing logical about, you know what I'm saying? Like it, our God is not logical. And it's important to understand that although there's common sense and there's intellect God supersedes that. His ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. So with that verse, this is what stood out to me. God has what? Thoughts. Now, why is that good? Why is it good to know that God has thoughts? Because I want to know, what is he thinking? Like, that would be a good thing for us to know is, God, what do you think about this? What do you think about that person? What do you think about the situation that I'm going through. But I also realize this too. The enemy has thoughts. Amen. And we have a what? A mind. And the question at the end of the day is, will this mind be filled with the thoughts that come from the enemy or thoughts that come from our father? That's at the end of the day. Now, I want you to see something that's very important. The enemy plants thoughts, but God's thoughts have to be received. Okay, this could help you understand that God doesn't just shove thoughts down your head. Like, he's not just constantly on this outpouring of thoughts. No, he's going, come and receive everything that I think because my thoughts toward you are what? Precious. And yet the enemy is, will, I mean, he's doing it to our kids already. He's just planting thoughts, 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 saying you'll never be good enough. Your parents will be disappointed in you. You never could do this. Thoughts, and it just keeps on going, going, going. Why? Because ultimately he hopes that thought becomes a what? Stronghold. And the best way that I can explain it is a young girl, and I shared this before, that is told by her 
brother over and over and over, you're ugly and you're fat, and she's like dismissing it, dismissing it, and then a mean boy in the school says the exact same thing. It solidifies that thought, and now it becomes a stronghold that leads her to a place of trying to prove that she's not, and she lost value of herself. It's called the stronghold. And so all the enemy wants to do is get strongholds in your life because if he can get those thoughts to turn into strongholds, although you can go and serve God, guess what? You're not free. And so you're still trying to worship God, but you feel like you're such a disappointment to God. Can you imagine that? You feel like God is mad at you. You feel like God doesn't even want to use you because of what you've done. Why? Because thoughts have been planted inside your mind. A number of months ago, I shared with you an illustration when the first iPod came out. Um, many, many years ago, it came with a game that had the base level and you would shoot these parachute guides. And the, 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 the helicopter would come across the top, try to follow me, and it would drop a parachute guy. And that parachute guy meant to infiltrate your camp system, your base camp, in order to destroy you. And so what you had to do is you had to turn the gun like this and what? Shoot it down. And I feel like the same thing is so true with our mind, is that the enemy is coming and doing things like this. You're a failure. You're not good enough. You'll never be a good enough Christian. You're no good. And he starts to, he starts to drop. Oh, did they knock it down? It's okay. We, there it is. Megan, can you just hold it straight? Shoot it. That was an illustration. So, the kids are in our service today, can you tell? Okay, so with this is the enemy does what? Are you guys with me? Yeah. The flashy light over there, guys. No, look it over there. And so the enemy is coming to what? Plant thoughts. And if you do not take your mouth and shoot these thoughts down, eventually they drop into your system. They drop into your heart and they become what is called a belief. A firm-rooted belief that although you know what this says, you believe something else. I've heard a lot of people go, man, I know that God loves me, but I just feel differently. Why? Because over the years, there's been planted this thought time and time again that in order for God to love you, you must perform a certain way. And you know what stood out to me just recently? We love him because he first loved us. That means God loved every single one of you before you ever loved him in return. Before you ever raised your hands, before you ever dedicated your life to serving him, it says we love him because he first loved us. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. And what I'm doing right now with this message is I'm building towards something I want to show you that happened with my journey with God. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, if you want to go to that slide, I think it's up there. It says these words, if then you were raised with Christ. So if you have received Christ, if you're a believer, a son or God, you have been what? Raised with Christ. This is a new reality. And yet many of us don't live believing this. If you were then raised with Christ, what does it say? Seek those things that are above. In Ephesians chapter 6 or 2, verse number 6, it's not going to be on the screen. It says that you have been what? You are now seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So there's a, new, there's a new perspective that God wants us to live from. But many of us relinquish that place and we go back to the place of how we used to think and how we used to believe and this is how we live our life. And so we're trying 
to enjoy God's life while we're still in Egypt. Do you follow that thought? We're trying to enjoy the conformity of what Egypt is while still trying to serve God. And God's saying, man, I need to get you out of there. I need to get you out of how you used to think and how you used to believe and who you used to be. And I want you to know that you were raised with Christ. And because you were, seek those things which are above where Christ is. Where's Christ? Those things are the things that we should be what? Seeking. It says sitting at the right hand of God. And now verse number two, and this is kind of the beginning stages of what I'm trying to form in this message. He said, set your mind where? Set your mind on things above, not on the things of this earth. When I look at that word set, I realize that it's something that I have a responsibility to do. When left untended, whose mind sets on anything good? Why? Because the enemy plants and God wants you to receive. And the reason why we drift, all of us, is because when we leave our mind unchecked, Guys, hear me in this because your minds are infiltrated with things that should not even be part of your belief system. When your mind is left untracked, what happens? It starts to drift. I remember I was driving uh, past one of those hills. When they're doing construction work, they build up all this dirt. The first day that they built up the dirt, it was like pristine dirt. It just looked like dirt. But every single week that I drove by that hill, guess what it started to look like? Weeds overgrown whatever is going on in there, it looked like a pile of chaos over month after month. And when your mind is left unchecked, remember, God has thoughts. We have thoughts that are given to us. When your mind is left unchecked, what does it do? It drifts. And it drifts into th things that I, when I, I put here, is it drifts into a neglected mind, drifts into negativity. When you find negativity rising up on the inside of you, there's something else that comes with and it goes, justification. It's okay to be negative. And so what happens is you start to now allow yourself to put on a lens of negativity and you start seeing negative in everything. Do you think God gave you that lens or the enemy? I'm telling you, it's something interesting because you start looking, you start seeing everything that's wrong with everything that's going on inside your life or with the people that are around you, and you start to see life from here. Another thing that happens when our mind drifts, it drifts into doubt and unbelief. What we start to do is we start to go, when it's unchecked, when it comes days and maybe weeks of not checking your mind with God's thoughts, you start to go, yeah, I know God said that, but you know what? I, I, I just don't see it. I, I, don't, I don't see how that's going to happen inside my life. And so you start to doubt promises. So no longer are you believing what God said. You're now believing that the outcome of your situation is going to be whatever it is. And so there's no faith there. You're no longer responding to God. You're responding now to a set of circumstances or to somebody who did you wrong. A mind that is neglected will drift into fear and worry. Fear and worry can be moments in your life, but they don't have to be seasons. And when they become seasons or strongholds, what happens, all the enemy needs is just a little trigger and fear rises up. And I shared with you a couple weeks ago how that happened in my life. That fear consecutively rose up every single day for two weeks straight. 
And I just kind of dismissed it. I kind of pushed it aside like we know how to do very well. We put it inside like the, the back part of our life and go, you know what? Hopefully it won't come back up. And you know what the Lord graciously did with me? He said, Justin, let's talk about it. And I just felt like, Lord, I, I don't want to talk about it because every time I think about it, I get so fearful. And I don't like being in that place of being fear-bound. And I just want to encourage you that when the Lord does that, he's, he wants to help you rise above it so that you could look at any circumstance, any situation, and fear is not the result. You could actually find that faith starts to rise up. That's when you know you've overcome something. I oftentimes, when the mind's neglected, it drifts into sin. How many got to a place here and you, you think to yourself, or maybe you said it to somebody, you go, how did I get here? You know, drifting doesn't happen on purpose. If you've ever been to the ocean and you put your stuff on the sand and then you go run into the ocean and you play for about a half an hour, you look back and you feel like somebody stole everything that you put on the sand. Why? Because you drifted a half a mile down the ocean without even realizing you were drifting. And the thing happens too with our mind. I found myself at times drifting and thinking things that I shouldn't even be considering in my mind. Not because I tried to go there, it's because the enemy has a plan. And his plan is to dominate your mind with thoughts that are not the same thoughts as God's. And I just want to say to all of you today, you have the ability to overcome the things that he's planting inside your mind. You don't have to be fearful of this enemy that leads you down paths with these thoughts. It's estimated that we have between 40 and 60,000 thoughts a day. Guess what percentage of those are negative? 85 to 90% of those thoughts are negatively driven. And we wonder why we feel a little bit down in the dump sometimes. And so God desires to transform us and to upgrade us into who we already are in Him. Okay, I want to say this very clearly. God wants to transform you, but it's not from a bad person into a good person. It is from a person who is now a new creation who has yet been upgraded into who he is. And so he's calling me up as a, as my, as a son of his. He's calling me up and saying, Justin, I have upgrades for you all the time. Times when you're fearful, there's times when you're insecure, there's times when you lash out because you're angry, and Justin, I want to upgrade you in those areas, not so you can be a better son, but so that you can actually walk in the fullness of what I had for you, so you can enjoy what I've made you to be, otherwise you can have something and not partake of it. It says this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 18, it says, but we all with an unveiled face, beholding as a mirror the glory of the Lord... We are being what? We are being transformed into the same image. So think about this for a second. The Holy Spirit is now in your life and he's transforming you. And what's he transforming you into? The same image from what? Glory to what? Glory. How many feel like you're going from bad or worse to bad, from bad to kind of bad, from semi-bad to almost there? You, maybe you hit a point of good, and then you go back down to bad, and now you're back down to unworthy. How many feel like there's that pattern in your life? He said you go from what? Glory to, so it's, it's, it, you begin here, 
in Christ, you begin at a place where he said, I began a glorious work inside of you. And so he's taken us from glory to upgrade to glory. If somebody was in this room and they had an iPhone 1, you'd probably go, did you know that they actually have an iPhone? Let's just say 2, yeah. And what happens is it's still an iPhone, but it's been what? Upgraded from glory to glory. And some of you, and I know this illustration is um, minimal, but for some of you, you've been made a new creation, but you're still frustrated over your flip phone with God. It's like you're still talking to him and going, man, I can't even text on this thing, Lord. I can't even download an app that you say. You say I have all the joy and all the peace that you have, but why can't I download? He's like, do away with the flip phone because I killed it. Upgrade to the iPhone, and I'm going to take you from glory to glory. I'm going to take you from an iPhone 1 to an iPhone 2 and so forth, and you have to receive these upgrades. Are you following me? Because we're getting ready to see if this is true, why is it not happening in some of our lives? If it's true that he's transforming us, why don't we see some of this transformation sometimes inside of our lives? And how does he do it? Okay, what I'm going to share with you is, uh, I'm going to do my best to make it clear. Um, Jackson, can I have you? Let me see who else I can have. Where's another boy around here? AJ. AJ, you want the good one or the bad one? Okay, just hold it like this. Hold it like this. Okay, this is important to understand as a believer is, as a believer, you are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a what? A body. So you are a spirit, you have a soul, which is your mind, it's your will, and it's your emotions, and you live in your housed in a body. Now, what happens when the Lord comes into your life? What happens when you receive Christ? In your life. Well, prior to that, this is you. This is who you are. Ephesians chapter 2, you can stand up here. That This is called your old man. This is what the Bible says. You'll see this phrase, old man, consistently throughout the Apostle Paul's writings. Before you receive Christ, Ephesians 2 verse number 1 says that our spirit is dead in Christ or dead without Christ and that he resurrects it. And so what happens is you have an old man. Okay, I want to read these to you real quick. It's a carnal mind. How many have experienced that before? Okay, I'll, this is important. I know it seems childish, but it's extremely important to understand what I'm about to share. Your eyes are blinded, the Bible says. Your eyes are veiled. You have lustful eyes, and all you see is problems. Your ears are dull, they're deaf, and they're dead. They can't hear what the Spirit of God is saying. As it goes down, you have a mouth that is unbridled. It's uncontrolled. It's like a fire, and it brings cursing. And so your mouth is something that James talks about. It's like this little ember that just starts this forest fire that sometimes we can't contain. You go down to the heart area. The Bible talks about before Christ, you have a heart that is of stone. It's a deceitful heart. It's an unbelieving heart. It's a doubtful heart. And it's a fleshly heart. So at your core, you don't want God. At your core, you're like, I'll do it my way. At your core, you live for self and self alone. Now, you may appear nice, you may appear kind, but you're doing it because they are going to help me get to where I want to go. That's who we are before Christ. And so what God does is he says, I have a solution for this. Now, I want you to see this for a moment. He says, I am going to now take this man, okay, lay down, 
I am going to, I'm going to bury him in Christ. On the cross, we died with him. That's why Paul said, I've been what? Crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives. This guy no longer lives. It's now what? Christ who now lives within me and the life that I now live, I live by faith in the one who died for me and gave his life. And so this old man is meant to be dead. And now God says, now what I'm going to do through a process, and don't be um, overwhelmed by the word I'm about to use, but a process of regeneration, he turns us into a new creation. Okay, I'm going to show you something because if we're having trouble with our mind, walking in who we are, this is important because many of us identify with this guy and talk about this guy to God all the time. How many have been there? Lord, I'm just, I'm just struggling with this. God, I'm just this way. God, I wish you could just fix this about me. God, I really just, I, I just, I, I don't know why I'm so wicked. I don't know why I'm so unworthy. I don't know. And God's like, man, who are you talking about? Well, look at my life, God. And he goes, yeah, but he died. I made you something brand new in Christ Jesus. Those who are in Christ are what? A new creation. So he made us what is a new creation which means he has now given us the mind of who? He has now enlightened our eyes to see who he is so that we can see the promises of God, we can see God in situations, and we can see the spirit of God working in people's lives. Our ears are now open to hear the word of God and to hear what people are going through so that we can actually present the healing power of God to them. Our mouth now is presented, now we can speak from a place of faith. Guys, speak faith over your kids. Speak a language over them that speaks into their future, not just who they are or who they used to be. Start to talk over them because you have the power of life and death in your tongue. It says that we can now speak blessing. You can bless your kids. And it says this, or I put here, it's filtered now by love. But not only that, is God took the old stony heart. He said, I took the stony heart and I replaced it with what? A heart of flesh. And he says, I placed my spirit on the inside of this new man, and it's a believing heart, and it's a heart that now desires God. Okay, now picture for me a moment. You're a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a what? So what this is, is your spirit. Now you go like this. This is called calibrate. His, the spirit, the new man, is aligned with who? It's aligned with the Father. Okay, this thing never gets out of line. But what does? Your soul. Uh, Tim, where's Tim Dracy? Is he in here? Tim, coming up. Can you grab your guitar? Can you play your guitar without uh, it being plugged in? Okay, can you bring it down here? Okay, can you do it quickly? I'm just joking. <laughs> we got kids in the room. They're going to get antsy. All right, so this is who I am. I'm a new man in Christ, which means I have the mind of Christ. My eyes have been opened to God. My ears can hear the word of God. And you can come down here, Tim, when you have a chance. And I have a heart that desires God. That's who I am. Okay, <laughs> did you fall asleep? <laughs> this old man is not who you are anymore. But wait, the enemy is going to speak to who? He is going to constantly try to get this old man to be resurrected in your life so that you are talking, dealing, treating everything about from this perspective. Now, can you take that out of tune? 
Okay, take it out of tune real quick to where we could hear it, those who aren't very inclined musically. Okay, so what happens over time is my spirit is the new man. Okay, he has set me free. I mean, he's given me his joy. God has given me his peace. God has given me his spirit. He's awakened me things. And over time, what happens is I start to drift into this. Can you play something untuned? Okay. Okay, this is how we feel sometimes, right? Yep. Okay, stop real quick. Whoever feels like that. And so what happens is, we start to identify with that. And that's who we are before God. So God must now think about me according to what he hears coming from my life. And I'm saying God looks at this man. That's all he wants to talk about is who I made you to be in Christ. Then why am I so depressed, disappointed, discouraged, uh, without hope, always struggling with certain things in my past? Because your mind, your will, and your emotions, they drift. Because when you got saved, your soul did not. Your mind did not get saved when you got saved. Are you following me? Your mind, and so the enemy, although you're saved, he'll say this. He'll start to accuse you of who you used to be. Do you know you'll never live up to what God's called you to do? Do you know what? You know what? God could never even use you, AJ. Do you know what? You're probably going to fail in time to come. You know what? It's probably best not even to live for God because Living for God, there's nothing even cool about it. And so what happens is he's planting, and he's planting, and he's planting. And so we can receive a Christ even at a young age. And because our mind starts to drift, he starts to, can you play untuned again? Bad way. We start to live our life just like this. And we're struggling. And what we're doing is this. You now have to what? Set your mind. Okay, you can stop. Set your mind Where? I'm things about, I have to get my mind back to a place where it's in what? It's been recalibrated with who? Who I already am. So when I find myself full of fear, what's God going to deal? He's not going to deal with fear. He's going to say, Justin, get yourself back in a place where you're in alignment with what I'm thinking about you. Is this making any sense to you guys? Are you sure? Because this is how you win in the Christian life. Otherwise, you can be, you can be saved. You can be going to heaven. You can, you can come on Sunday mornings and go, why is my life not changing? And I'm telling you right now, the reason why it's not is because your, your, your mind, your will, and emotions are completely out of whack. So when you feel like this ounce of, let's say, despair or disappointment, which is a strong emotion, it's not an indication of who you are. It's an indication that your mind has what? It's drifted. And now begin to put it back in tune. And what happens is it back in tune, you start to go, wow, I feel like myself again. God, I feel good about myself. And this didn't please him. He's pleased with who he's already made you to be. You're just back in alignment with who you are. So stay here with me, guys, just in case. I, I, still, I still need you. So what are we recalibrating our mind to? I want to know, what is he thinking about me? Now, guys, I said this statement over and over and over, and I know it's such a strong statement to, to receive. God never changes his mind about you. And the amens are 
overwhelming. Like, you don't believe it. I get it. I don't either sometimes. It's crazy thought. I know you have to go study it for yourself, but what I'm saying is this. Because of who he's made you to be, and he's placed you in Christ, and he's placed Christ in you, and now he sees you according to the covenant he's made with you. So when we're drifted in this place, I need to go, okay, man, mind, why are you so far off? Why do you not feel worthy of God? Why do you, know, why do you feel, Justin, like you don't deserve God's favor, and your mind has drifted? I just... God, I just don't feel right with you. I feel so disappointed that I've disappointed you. I feel like I'm so unworthy because of the things that I thought and the things that I did. And that's just an indication the Holy Spirit goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's recalibrate your mind back to where? The thoughts that God has towards you. So what I'm doing is I'm bringing my mind back in subjection, subjection to what God is thinking. Look at, um, look at Romans chapter 12. Can you put that on the screen for me? You okay, Jack? All right, you stay dead, okay? So I beseech you, therefore, brethren. Okay, I want to stop here, actually. If somebody, let's say, pretend that he's actually not alive. It's hard to say in front of Nikki, but let's just say he's not, he's not alive, okay? And we were at the funeral of this old man. And John came up to me and goes, man, you know what? Jack just really needs to deal with his anger issue. What would you say to him? He's dead. Doesn't mean he doesn't need to deal with an anger issue. It just means if I'm trying to fix him, I'm not focused on him. And when I'm fixated on fixing rather than discovering, I start to live my life completely fixated on I'm just not good enough yet. I'm just not there. Just a little bit more fix-ups and this will be better. Just one more time when I got this finally under wrap, and now God will finally be good with me. No, God's not good with you because you have it all together. God's good with you because he made you brand new, and he placed Christ within you, and he placed you within Christ, and now you stand there as a beloved son of God, not because of what you did, because where you have been placed. And so now I am no longer dealing with God about who I used to be. I'm trying to discover who I am. God, how do I respond that I'm a new man now? Oh, Justin, you can respond with love. And that's why I'm talking about this responsive life. I now have the ability to have ears that can hear what the Spirit of God is saying. Talked with, again with John Walsh this morning, and it just exemplified what a responsive life is. He told me, man, he's just uh, praying this morning, and God just gave him three simple words. And those three words, although they don't change all the circumstances, they literally changed him from within. And now he takes those words and what responds to what his father thinks about this. And there are simple words, ignore the waves. How many have ever been fixated on the storms and waves of life? So now look at this, Romans chapter 1, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which is your reasonable service. And he says in verse number 2, and do not be conformed to this world, to this way of thinking. How many know the world has a way of thinking? Every music out there is a message to your children. I'm telling you, it's speaking a message of this is how you should think about life. Every TV show, every sitcom, everything surrounding us is a message to think a particular way. And he says, don't be conformed to the world. It doesn't mean you can't wear this and you can't do this and you can't wear... It means don't be conformed to that way of thinking, but be what? Transformed by renewing 
Simple what he did there. Renewing is just this. Can I touch these? Renewing is, oh, that just, okay. Renewing is, all right, we're getting there. And the Holy Spirit's now allowed to get my mind where it's a place where it's like, is that better? And now it's what? I recalibrated to his way of, what happened? Did you, <laughs> joke's on me, right? That's what you get for bringing people up here, especially like Tim. And so it says, be transformed by what? So if I'm going to go from glory to glory, what has to happen? I have to renew my mind. Now look at this, Psalms 139. Can you put that on the screen for me? How what? Are your thoughts to how great? So how does God think about you? I didn't say how God thinks about your behavior. How does God think about you? They're precious thoughts. And he says, how great is the what? The sum of them. If I should even try to count all the precious thoughts that you have toward me, they would be more in number than the sand. When I'm awake, I'm still with you. Thank you, guys. You guys can go back to wherever you guys came from. Thank you, buddy. So I want to live here. Because I know when I live there, as I renew my mind, I get transformed according to now what he has said about me. Does he deal with behavior? Yes, he does. Does he discipline behavior? Yes, he does. But it doesn't mean as he disciplines behavior, his precious thoughts become destructive thoughts. He still thinks the same way about you when you're in Christ, even though he deals with you and your attitude. So we must daily renew our mind To what? The realities of this gospel, this good news that we've all embraced. And I'm aligning my thoughts to what is now true about me and about others. How many has ever dealt with somebody who's a problem person? I challenge you with this. Ask God what he thinks about them. Did I just hear a grunt over there? So I'm aligning my thoughts with what's true about who he says that I am. So over the course of the next few weeks, I'm going to begin to share with you some of these thoughts that God has shared with me on this journey that I had to renew my mind to, that were foreign to me. So as I'm a believer in Christ, and I got into a place where I, I started, I went through, I was part of a church We're just very highly functional. So my life with God was what? Highly functional, which means I pushed the cross aside and I put up these ladders in my life. And these ladders led me to, God, are you proud of me? God, do I please you? God, do I make you happy? God, are you impressed with my disciplines? And so I started to erect functions in my life to enhance my relationship with God. And I thought these ladders would take me to a greater place with God. Now I'm a better Christian than that person. Somebody admires my discipline in prayer. And so I started to what? Get puffed up by these functions. And so the Lord now has to take someone like me on a journey of going, uh, can we get rid of this ladder and this one and this one? And let's put, a, let's put a cross back there and let's be reminded, Justin, that this is not about you, it's never about you, and it's never about your perfect performance. It's about what Jesus did for you on the cross. And I would always say, oh, I know all that. 
but my letters are perfect. Like, let's not mess with the letters. And that's what he had to take me on this journey. So in order for him to take Justin from functional back to relational so the function would actually be healthy, he had to take me on this journey of what? Discovery. I'm not looking to get a destination. I know that's our frustration for all of us. It's like, when am I going to finally become relational? When you probably see him for the first time in heaven, you're like, holy cow, this is all about you. That's probably when you finally got there. So don't worry about the destination. Worry about constantly discovering this idea. And so as he was teaching me this idea of relational before functional, these are the thoughts that he had to share with me. Now, every single thought would kind of develop from the scriptures, but I'm sharing my personal journey with you so that you know you also have one as well, which means this. If God is taking you from glory to glory, he's not trying to fix you, but he wants you to embrace a certain new thought process that he has. His thoughts are not your, his ways are not your ways. Higher are his ways and his thoughts than ours are. And so now he's getting Justin to go, okay, Justin, if you're ever going to be truly, thank you, if you're ever going to be truly relational before functional, there's a few things you need to understand. I remember the first one came in 2016. It was after a, a relationship and ministry that I had for many years that from both my perspective and from those around me, it was one that was not healthy and it was one that I was taken advantage of, so to speak. Now, but this is what the Lord says. Justin, my thoughts are not your... So here's the... Uh, actually, I don't have any of these on the screen. The first one that I had that kind of came to me was, I am not a victim, but I will overcome. Now, let me tell you how hard that is to give up a victim sense. How many have ever felt like you've been taken advantage of, right? So what comes with that is this justice, <laughs> this I will never be taken advantage of. How could they? Let's now, and I understand there's times when you fight and there's times when you need to stand up for something, but when you take on a victim mentality and now you live life with that, it, it, it clouds everything. You can't fully and be free to love people because you're always wondering, are they going to hurt me like the other person? What are they trying to do inside my life? Are they have a string attached? And so you start doing the same thing to people. You start projecting this victim thing on people and you start to experience and you're like, see, I told you, it happens all the time. This is what happens. And so when he began to share that with me, Justin, I want you to renew your mind to this. Why are you not a victim? Because... I have given you every advantage that you need to live a life that I've called you to live. Because we feel like when we're taken advantage of, I'm now set up for a harder way of trying to succeed. And now I've been taken advantage of, I've been put back, and now I have a lot in life that goes, I don't even know if I'm going to make it. And so the first reality, and this is, again, I'm sharing this with you because I want you to know like what John said today. The Lord said to him, ignore the waves. So how does John now come in line with that? He has to stay on top of that thing in his mind all day long. When the waves come crashing and unexpected in two days from now, what does he have to remind himself? Father, I thank you that you, by your grace, I ignore the waves. Three days later, something happens again or troubles didn't seem to change. Father, I thank you that I have the grace to ignore the and what he's doing is he's renewing his mind to what God spoke to him. 
Now what happens is he's getting upgraded from glory to glory so that there will come a moment in his life where the waves come crashing by and he doesn't have to consciously go ignore the waves. He comes, he gets and goes, I've been set free. Holy cow. I actually don't have to ignore the waves because they don't bother me anymore. It's called the renewing of the mind. So the first one for me was, Justin, don't see yourself as a victim. And you know how that conversation goes. Well, Lord, this is what happened, and I did this, and I did this, and I did this, and I did this, and then this was the response over there. Yeah, but Justin, you're not a victim because I am for you, and if God is for you, and he says, I will always lead you into a place of victory. I only have three, but the second one that I want to share with you, and this is a big one, is he started to now deposit into my spirit, hey, Justin, I don't see problems, only possibilities. How many hate that statement that I make? <laughs> like, it, 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 you have to embrace it for yourself if you, if you see it in the scriptures, but I looked at it and I go, but what does that even mean, Lord? You don't see problems, only possibilities? Yeah, because all things, I mean, I just put some, per- Jesus looked at them and said to them, with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Mark chapter 9, Jesus said to them, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Mark 10, 27, but Jesus looked at them and said, with men, it is impossible, but not with God, for with God, all things are possible. And so I started to look at a problem with a lens of possibility. Lord, there must be something you can do in this situation. That took a while to renew my mind to because I saw problems everywhere. And I I struggled to see the possibility that God could see in the problem that I was facing. And the more you focus on the problem, guess what? It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And I started to go, you know what? If if God's the God of possibilities, I'm going to start to speak what I think my father is speaking or thinking about this situation. And I start to look at it and go, God, I thank you that somehow, some way, you can turn this thing around because all things are possible to those who believe. And I thank you that if you could do it for Abraham with a man that could not have children, and it looked like it was the problem. So the problem was what? His impotence and his, the barrenness of his wife's room, God saw what? Possibility. He didn't see a problem inviting Abraham and Sarah to this promise. Like, doesn't that seem like he picked the wrong people? But he doesn't see? He saw a possibility of what? If somebody will believe me, watch what I can do. Just watch what I can do if I can get one person that is my son or my daughter to finally believe my promise. Some of you look at your marriage and you go, you know what? There's no way. There's no hope. All things are what? Possible to him who believes. The last thing, and I'll close with this, and again, I'm just taking you on this journey that God showed me of, man, Justin, you have to renew your mind to this. So a problem came, what would he whisper? Justin, look for the possibility in this. But God, I don't see any of this possibility. I don't even get it. This problem is so overwhelming. But Justin, there's a possibility if you'll believe what I spoke to you. The last one is this. And I know this impacted many of your lives. That he didn't examine the sinner. He examines the lamb. In the Old Testament, there was this question by Abraham that says, where is the lamb? Or his, his son said that to him as they're going to be He's going to be sacrificed. Where is the Lamb of God? 
John the Baptist in the New Testament says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In Revelation, that same writer, John says, Worthy is the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundations of the world. And so in the Old Testament, under that covenant, you would take, you would take uh, as a sinner, you would have to get atonement for your sins, so you would find a spotless, blemless, one-year-old male lamb. You would take it to the priest. The priest would what? Examine the lamb to see if it was spotless, if it was a male, if it was one years old. And then the priest would take that lamb and say, the lamb is satisfactory for what you came for. He once never examined the sinner. Guys, hear me on this. This is life-changing when you realize that he examined not the sinner. He examined the Lamb of God, and when the Lamb was sufficient for the requirements, he slit the Lamb's throat. They offered it as a sacrifice of praise, and, or sacrifice of, uh, uh, praise, and that sinner walked away from the base camp, what? Justified and forgiven. Never was he examined. Because God already knew that the guy who was coming, bringing the Lamb, was already a sinner. There's no reason to examine him. When I come in the presence of God, and that's why I can come boldly, because he examines who? The perfect Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. He was spotless, and he hung on the cross for me. He died as me on that cross, and now I can enjoy the presence of God, the relationship with God, not having to wonder if he's going to examine my life, because why? He examines the Lamb, and I am to put my trust and my faith in the Lamb of God. Now, I learned that. I knew that. But now I have to renew my mind to that. So every time I come to God feeling condemned, shamed, and guilty, and I start to go, oh, God, I'm just such an unworthy, no good, the Holy Spirit would go, psh, psh, psh. Maybe he said, shut up. I'm not sure. He said something like that. <laughs> he goes, don't talk like that because the Lamb of God was what? Worthy. And because the Lamb's worthy, when you receive the worthy Lamb, you become worthy in the presence of God. And yes, Justin, we need to fix or adjust this behavior and that, but it all stems from you actually seeing yourself the way that you truly are. And so now I can come to the presence of God and rather, and where's Jason Summers? So Jason, can I share the story? For eight years, this is, I, I might be ad-libbing a little bit, but for eight years, Jason woke up and what'd you do? Yep, he, he got on his knees or whatever he is and he just confessed all his sins and just felt unworthy, 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 unworthy. God, I'm so sorry for all the bad things I did. I mean, just for year after year after year after year after year. And he's finally now receiving what the gospel has done for him. And he just texted me two days ago and said, it's an amazing day when I can just drive to work, worship God, and you filled up with tears. Why? Because you knew that God simply just loved you. What, what takes a person there? It's a, it's a setting in the mind of going, you know what? I'm not an unworthy sinner. I'm a deserving son of God. And I'm deserving not because I did something. I'm deserving because the Lamb of God died on my behalf. And he's still an eternal forever sacrifice. And I put my trust in Christ. Therefore, I can enjoy God. Guys, you can enjoy God because you are his beloved sons and daughters. That's how he sees you. But you have to renew your mind today. Otherwise, the enemy is just going to be on cracking, cracking, cracking. Accusing the brethren all over to get you where not from a place of calibrated to a place where you're drifted and you know what God says about you, but you just don't believe it. And you start living from a place that's not a son and a daughter. You start living from a place that is an orphan, from somebody that doesn't feel like he's deserving, like he's been rejected by God. And there's a place of freedom. There's a place of joy. There's a place of peace right here. When your mind is set on God, perfect peace.
comes to your life. Amen? Let's give Jesus some praise. Amen? So, Father, we just take a moment. If you're in this room this morning and you feel like you haven't received it yet, but you know that it was for you to receive joy, would you mind standing with me? Father, I pray for each person that's standing right now in Jesus' name. Just do go like this with your hands. Remember, the name of the game in the kingdom is receiving. How do you receive? By believing. It's just saying, Father, I receive your joy. A joy that is only one that you can give. A joy that comes from only one source alone. It doesn't come from your wife, from your kids, from playing a sport, from a Super Bowl game. It comes from one source alone, from Jesus Christ himself. He says, I give you my joy. So, Father, I pray in Jesus' name right now for every single person that stood, every one of your sons and daughters, they have a right to the joy that you have given them. I pray right now that they receive it, Father God. Just receive. Receive his joy in the midst of your circumstances. Receive his joy in the midst of your, 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 your difficulties, in the midst of your challenges. Receive only the joy that he can give. So, Holy Spirit, right now, fill them. Fill every single one of them with joy overflowing. Overflow them with a sense of joy that they don't realize, man, why am I smiling? Why do I want to laugh when I just, I felt like I wanted to cry? Father, overwhelm them with your joy. Oh, the spirit of joy, may it fill and enlarge their hearts. Father, I thank you that you can do only what you can do. That we don't have to manufacture happiness. We can live with the stability of joy. Because the joy of the Lord is their strength. And in your presence, which I can know right now we are, is the fullness of joy. Father, invite all of them to your presence so they can see what you see. Invite them into your presence. Don't, Father, may your spirit just agitate them until they finally break away from the busyness of life and just get in your presence.